0: it can be how much do you make how much do you spend how much do you keep there are a lot more complexities to that you can absolutely show some some formulas there of numbers you want to look at but at a bare bones level those are the three questions you need to be asking yourself if you find here's another general rule if you find that you're spending 70% I apologize we're gonna go to net profit mark if you find that you're spending 90% or more of what you make potentially there's a lot there's room for improvement
1: welcome to the freedom chasers podcast where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories successes goals and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom all right, guys, today we have Michael Glassby on the show, and this is a man who owns, owned over 100 units of real estate, has served in, as a Green Beret in the military, is the real estate CFO, has really honed in and focused on real estate finances, which, gosh, man, like, what a fun topic for those of you who are real estate agents and investors, because this is the mix between real estate and the money, right? If you get both of these things right, things go really crazy for you when it comes to freedom, which is what we're all about here at the Freedom Chasers. And I am so excited to interview Michael, because I want to get into some of the mistakes that people are making, some of the lessons that they can learn, some of the lessons that you've learned owning so much real estate yourself. I'm so thankful that you're not just a CFO who hasn't done it, but you're the CFO that has done it. So what I want you to do is take us in right away. You said you own 134 units of real estate and sold it. So tell us about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Matt. I really do appreciate it. Um, yeah, so, you know, over the time, I, I started off house hacking. This is like many, many investors do. Didn't even know what it was at the, at the time. And I went to one of those, you know, real estate seminars. And then I, I learned for the first time that house hacking was actually an investment strategy. So for me, I'm a bona fide real
1: estate investor. <laughs> From that point on. <laughs> From a seminar. So you're actually one of the success stories of these seminars.
0: Yeah. And, and I was, I was doing the house hacking prior to the seminar and then, yeah, the seminar really opened up my eyes because that wasn't part of my, you know, my childhood, you know, talking about yeah. real estate and owning assets just wasn't part of it. So yeah, that that uh, seminar really played an important role. And for me, once that, that spark was lit, it was game over. So I started doing wholesale subject to lease options and, and all of these things to to really kind of scale my portfolio. and. One thing led to another as I was kind of growing and scaling, and I almost rushed to the finish line there where I got over 100 properties at about three years, right? And, and at that point in time, that's when I realized I went a little too fast, right? Um, and as time kind of went on and I really started analyzing the money that was moving inside of the company, right? Not just deal by deal, like many real estate investors do. It's not just the proceeds on the one single flip. It's how is the business operating as a whole. I realized that there was a lot of inefficiencies. And so, you know, just recently, about the last uh, 12 months or so, I've sold over half of my portfolio and I've actually doubled my profitability.
1: Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Okay, so you sold half your portfolio and. That, I mean, I'm not like crazy accountant, right? But that just tells me there were some properties that like weren't profitable, right? So, so t- walk 100%. me through like, like how did you discover this? When you found out, like, just walk us through the whole process.
0: Yeah, totally. So, well, uh, as I mentioned, a lot of times when we're getting started with real estate, we focus on deal by deal. Like, hey, this flip's going to be amazing. I'm getting twenty five thousand. Great, or hey, my cash on cash return is whatever it is. And oftentimes that puts us in this very small window of time. And we're only looking at maybe one year snapshot or six month snapshot. And in reality, when we look at the investment of my money, it's a lifetime journey. Right. And so one of the things that I was able to do is just break apart every single property that I owned and look at the historical trend. Right. How much money was I actually spending on CapEx? Was it what I budgeted for? Right. (laughs) You know, an underwrote for. um, How much money was actually coming? How much vacancy did I have? And when you put all of those together, you know, oftentimes real estate is very forgiving, and because we have such great tax benefits and all of these other, um, you know, benefits owning real estate, we often for over or overlook a lot of those minor things. And so, for example, I was cash flowing perfectly on a couple of properties, and by perfectly, I mean the bills were paid, uh, money was going into the uh, bank account, and never had like a late payment. But in reality, I started seeing that the CapEx was coming out. The tax bill was increasing. And when I compared that to another property where maybe the cash flow wasn't as much dollar per dollar, it was much more efficient and it was a higher rate of return. And once you kind of have that picture, it goes back to the old uh, 80-20 rule, right, where 20% of what you own is producing 80% of the results. And I just took my time, kind of pruned off those weeds And almost instantaneously, I was more profitable, meaning the efficiency of my dollar. I was keeping more of the money that I was making.
1: Were all 134 of your units profitable or like, I guess my question is, how would you determine which ones to sell? Was it just like, okay, this is less than break even. It's gone. Or it it didn't hit this amount of profit.
0: Yeah, for some of them they were just non-performers to be completely honest. Yeah. I had a couple of duds yeah. um, kind of you know C minus type properties that at the time were great. I were able to I was able to burr them, pull some money out, but they were no longer performing. Income just wasn't even coming in at at a certain point. So, for me those were no-brainers. Those were the dead weight. Let's just get rid of those. As I started to kind of trim the rest of them, it for me was a matter of uh, overall performance. And when I say that, a lot of times we Here's a here's a great example. If I was to tell you, hey, at the end of the year, you're going to make a million dollars and you're probably going to feel pretty good about that. Now, if I say, hey, you had to spend a million dollars in order to make that million. Well, now when you think about it, it's like really at the end of the day, I'm keeping nothing. Right. I spent a million. And so every dollar is in relation to something else. So for me, I look at very specific metrics. Cash on cash is okay, But I look at internal rate of return. I look at uh, some other metrics like that. And then I have my own benchmark for me and my investment portfolio. And if it wasn't meeting that, it was getting snipped.
1: Absolutely. I love this. Now, let's talk about you made the, the, the decision to snip. What happened? I mean, you probably got some time back. Like, what are some of the benefits that you got once? I mean, because like sometimes it's like you hear it all over. Don't sell real estate. Every property you ever sell in the history of ownership, you're gonna you're gonna hate it, right? Is that true for you?
0: No, that's definitely not true. There's a lot that I did hate. There's yeah. a lot <laughs> that I did hate. But no, it's 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 not true. You know, there's always you have that feeling inside, like oh, I really don't want to sell this, right? I worked hard to get this asset, and like I mentioned, real estate is very forgiving. Oftentimes, if you hold it long enough. The return, of, you know, turn back around and you'll start making money, whether it's through appreciation or whatever the case is. But he, at the end of the day, for me specifically, what was very important was peace of mind. You know, we go through enough as it is. You know, I got my fiance running around the house. We've got a wedding coming up. I got a couple companies I'm running. Congrats. You know, if it If it's taking me, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. If it's taking me, you know, eight calls a week to handle a problem on a property that's not producing nothing, let's just get rid of it. I'd rather have the peace of mind knowing that my portfolio is stable, it's consistent, the money's going to come in. Yeah, I'll have a little CapEx stuff here and there, but but it buys back a lot of that, that peace, which is very hard to get as an entrepreneur.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're mentioning fiance, you're mentioning the idea of getting married and it kind of like, it makes me think of the analogy, right? Like marriage over a long time, if you stay married, generally speaking, it's going to go well, right? You have tough times, bad times, but if you commit to somebody for 50 years, right, that relationship gets super deep, but that doesn't mean you should be married to everybody, right? I mean, so like not not every property is worth marriage, I would say. Yeah, man, that's, I love this. So, so you, you make the cut, you get much more profitable, you get your time back, you get a lot of things are going well. How did pruning allow, like in pruning, because like, you mentioned that word, and that usually means you cut it back so you can grow faster. Like, did you then end right. up buying more or did you, you send your time and money other directions?
0: Yeah, so I'm not buying more as of yet, but what I've been able to do is actually build my reserves mm. so much faster. And yeah. so right now the money's coming in and, and it's not going out as fast, right? It's not too many, cat no, no, these, these random issues. So for me, uh, not only peace of mind, but now it's building the stability across the entire portfolio, right? So I'll give you a, a perfect example. When I originally started investing, I was I always thought, hey, look, $5,000 a door as a reserve, that's going to be a, a good metric as far as um, you know liquidity goes. But at the end of the day, well, as the portfolio grows, hey, if 10 HVACs go out, there goes your 5,000 because you can't even get an HVAC for 5,000 nowadays, right? So you start to realize that that's not, That's not an accurate way. That's not really a safe measure. You know, then I started saying, okay, well, hey, three months of operating expenses as reserves. And that's okay. But in order to build that up, especially when you have these different expenses point at your strengths, it's hard to maintain that. And so now by pruning all of these different, these weeds, if you will, what it's allowing me to do is actually build up the stability as a company. And a lot of times we don't realize that as, as small business owners, but specifically for real estate uh, operators, real estate is a real business. And if we're not treating it like a real business, having our financial statements in order, having our reserves and our liquidity, our debt to equity ratio, our debt to asset ratio on lock, we're exposing ourselves to more risk.
1: Yeah. What, now that you pruned for you personally, what is your reserve desire, like goals?
0: My reserve now is about
1: $15,000 a door. As a $15. bare minimum, I'm
0: still going. I, my my ultimate goal is going to be six months worth of operating expenses, um, mm-hmm. just liquid, just liquid, and I'll be splitting that up. And we could talk about that in a little bit, but between cash and uh, treasury bills. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay, so that's a very interesting point. And obviously, what we're about to talk about is not financial advice. You know, get advice from a CPA right, or absolutely fi- financial advisor. We're just talking about lessons that we've learned, and obviously. This is really cool. So so basically you're taking the reserves, you're putting it into a high interest account, 3 4 5%, but you have access to it very quickly. So you're getting yes. some decent not, you know, investment level return, but you're getting some decent return but you got it available when you need it.
0: Correct. 100%.
1: Okay, cool. 100%. How does the $15,000 a unit currently for you compare to and I know I can ask you the numbers questions because you're a CFO. How does that compare to 6 months reserves? Is that is that halfway? Is that three quarters of the way? It's it's
0: uh, right now, about three quarters of the way, about right, three quarters so three, of the way. Okay. And obviously this is going to depend on your properties, right? Depending on your market area, depending on the asset class itself. Um, for example, if this was a million dollar single family home, that $15,000 a door is not going to do anything for you, right? Yeah. Even if it's a single family home. So for me in my portfolio, it's about three quarters of the way.
1: Yeah, oh, beautiful. And so, I mean, we are talking three quarters. I mean, you're you're talking about, you know, like... You got months, right? I mean, you got four and a half months of, I mean, so a lot can go wrong and you're still cushioned. So you're sitting pretty good. Exactly. Now you're, it, because your goal is six months, it sounds like your plan of action is to continue to build. What do you do once you hit the six months of reserves and now you're still pouring in some cash? So now anything above and beyond
0: that six months, that's my investment capital. Yep. And, uh, you know, just like anything else, if you take cash flow, you obviously we can use it and we can live our life. Or we could take that cash flow and reinvest it and right and see the capital accumulation of, of double investing, if you will, for all of that, all that cash, it, it can really compound, right? And it can really grow at a much faster rate uh, than just buying one asset at a time.
1: So obviously you diving into the financials, being kind of in the CFO space, like you've gotten the benefit of recognizing, okay, I looked at my financials, I've cut half my portfolio. Besides that, like, what are some other key insights that you've learned in being heavy in the numbers?
0: Yeah, the, uh, one thing that we kind of alluded to in the beginning was measuring the dollars. Um, oftentimes, you know, like I say, I, I've had plenty of my clients will be like, "Hey, I've, I've made um, six million this year. Great, that's amazing." But how much did you actually keep? How much did you keep after taxes? Right now, let's measure that efficiency. If you made six million, but you only kept $50,000. Well, you're not running your company efficient at all. Matter of fact, you're just throwing money at problems and you're not running a company, right? So being able to really understand how to read those financial statements, just how to read, how to read your profit and loss, how to read your balance sheet is extremely important and being able to understand or identify, Hey, there's a problem. There's potentially an issue. How do I fix it?
1: Yeah. So, Let's, let's go a little bit in your backstory here. You're a Green Beret. I have a lot of family that's in the military, so I have a lot of, you know, partiality to people that have done hard things, particularly in the, in the service of our country. Give us a little bit of insight in what it was like to be a Green Beret. Yeah,
0: for sure. Ooh, that's a good question. Actually, I haven't been asked that question. Um, okay, I, I'll tell you what. When, when you, typically, when people hear Green Beret, at least this is what has been brought to me, they assume that we had the best uh, equipment, right? The most up-to-date <laughs> laser rifles, uh, night vision goggles that could see across the ocean. When in reality, we were giving we were given subpar equipment, right? And oftentimes, we would have to deploy and we would have to work with our partner forces in other countries, and we would have to use their equipment, right? And, and Was their equipment better? The, no, typically, not. <laughs> typically right. not.
1: Yeah,
0: no. <laughs> <laughs> typically not. And the one thing, I guess the real big lesson about that, especially in that community. And it's it's true across all all military services, but it's not at all about our resources that we're given. We still have to complete the mission. So it's about how resourceful we can be. And that's just kind of, that speaks volumes to exactly what I experienced for over a decade um, as a Green Beret. Uh, No matter where we went, some great opportunities uh, to meet different people from different cultures, visit countries that I never even heard of, never even seen on a map before. I remember the one time I got stationed in a place called Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso. And uh, my commander came over and said, yeah, you're going to Ouagadougou. I said, bless you. Where am I going now? Right. <laughs> I had no exactly. idea. Can you speak English, please? I had no yeah. idea. Yeah, right. exactly. But no, it was a great time. It really was. Um it was an experience that I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't replace for the world.
1: You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven figure strategies and got an inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us, and let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. So you've already given me one, right? With the resourcefulness, like you don't have the equipment that's probably optimal or, or maybe even functional, right? And you still have to do the mission anyways. So that obviously has direct insight or direct correlation to what you're doing now, right? The mission is the mission. You got to achieve it. What are some of the other lessons that you learned? Because because in my opinion, like it's a 90% mindset, right? It's 90% of what we do 100%. in most of the businesses is is how we show up and how we think about things. So that's one, I think, that one of the, the hallmarks of the, that, the the service in the military is, is the mindset. So give us some more insight.
0: Yeah, you're 100% 100 correct. A lot of the things that we will go through may be physically demanding, maybe emotionally demanding, maybe just, you know, what some people would consider just rough, maybe torturous. I wouldn't do it, but it's really about your mindset. It's really about finding that, that, that plane where you're saying, Hey, look, this is temporary. Right, I'm going to get through this. This is how I'm going to get through it. And, and when you come out on the other end, you're like, you know what? My body can still push. Um, David Goggins, if you're, if any of you guys are familiar with David Goggins, he says it all the time. Once you hit your wall, you're only at forty percent of your capacity, and it's true because your mind, your body is capable of so much. Uh, and to your point there, the the other skill set that I would say that has really translated over is the ability to adapt. As as entrepreneurs and small business owners, we are constantly adapting. Adapting. We don't have uh, the the marketing team, the economics team that Coca Cola has, that Pfizer has, that all these other companies. We have to adapt. We have to absorb that information, adapt to make sure that we're staying relevant, we're staying competitive, right? And we can continue to move this train forward. So that was another piece of the military that that I really have to give credit to the ability that we're always on our toes, we're adapting, and it's okay because that's a normal way to operate.
1: Yeah. So you come from the military, 11 years uh, in the military. Do you come right out the gate into the finances and real estate? How, how does the transition go?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I studied uh, business and finances for my undergraduate and uh, for my master's. Um, while I was in the military is when I started investing. I was still active duty, but I started investing with the house hack, like I mentioned, and some wholesale, sub twos, all that good stuff. And then right towards the tail end, I actually started a, a real estate team right a team of agents a team of brokers that was focused on investors and so by the time that that transition took place i had a decent portfolio built up uh, about 30 units at the time we already had the agency up and running and you know it was just straight to the to the, to the fences with it and uh it kind of just went from there right i just had much more time and energy to, to be completely obsessed with it all and so it allowed me to dive right in and not long after i've completely separated i had an opportunity to work with a private equity firm, uh, as their CFO. And so I took that, 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 uh, job and or that opportunity. And, and it really just kind of scaled from there. And that's when I really realized I'm absolutely obsessed with real estate for the ability that you have, we have the, uh, creative ability to, to make anything happen, right? If you can think it, it can happen in real estate. And then you apply that to finances, which is really the study of money. And, 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 and you know, I don't care what our hobby is. It can be hockey. It can be hiking, biking, whatever the case is. There's one thing that funds all of our hobbies and it's money. But oftentimes we won't take the time to study it. Right. So for me to be able to pair those two together, I know it sounds kind of nerdy, but it was like a dream (laughs) dream come true. (laughs) Right. It was like, it's what I was meant for.
1: Amazing. What would be some of the top one to three lessons, insights that you learn from being a CFO?
0: The first one. For the the private equity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One of the biggest ones is you have to have clarity. And I mean absolute clarity. Now, the way that we can do that is oftentimes on a financial statement, when you're reading the financial statement, you might see some big words that you're not comfortable with, like accounts receivable, accounts payable, uh, whatever right? And if you're not comfortable with that word, then it shouldn't be on that financial statement, right? Let the accountant deal with that, right? For you, it should say money owed to me or money I have to pay, something to that effect. And you need to have clarity on all of your finances. So that's definitely the top one. Uh, The second one is the ability to track every penny out and every penny in. Now, we can do that with bookkeeping, yes. But if you're not actually looking at your reports once the bookkeeping is done, then there's no, there's really no point in that. And there's so many things that I found as far as subscriptions or double charges or all these little things that we experience in our real life, right? I mean, people got men's fitness magazines, you know, still still on subscribe, right? Netflix or whatever the case is. The same thing happens in business. And so being able to track everything that goes in and out is extremely important. And the third thing is actually measuring Every dollar, and we've already talked about it a little bit as far as uh, how much you keep versus how much you make. But we're also talking about how much is your employee bringing into the company versus how much you're paying them, how much is your marketing bringing in profit compared to how much you're spending. Right? Having all of these different individual measures quickly allows us to say, Hey, look, you know what we're not operating very efficiently here right we have our company standard of performance we're not really operating efficiently here now let's dig deeper let's bring in the marketing let's bring in whoever we need to do HR whoever let's figure this out what's going on right then we can problem solve it's more about a scalpel than it is with uh, you know a butcher a butcher's knife or a cleaver
1: yeah getting into the fine details so you you have this experience with the private equity firm which obviously that's very prestigious was it was it the freedom like what I mean you're at this pinnacle type job after uh, obviously being, you know, in the pinnacle of the military. What what led you out uh to to real estate?
0: Yeah, you know, I've always uh I've enjoyed kind of working for myself. You know, I enjoyed starting my own businesses, running it the way that I kind of I like it, you know, uh creating the culture, the environment, the quality of whatever I'm producing and really being the the creator of that, the shaper of that. So Um, yeah, it was a great opportunity, learned a ton, but I wanted to come out and continue to help smaller business owners do get the same benefit, right? Learn some of the same skill sets of just how to treat their real estate, like a
1: real business. How much of your decision to leave was based on a brighter financial future versus an increased level of freedom,
0: increased level of freedom, 99.9%.
1: Yeah. You're like, I don't, I hope to make more, but if I don't, this is about freedom.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Um, you know, money, money can buy you a lot of things. I say money can't make you happy. There's a funny saying money can't make you happy, but you know, uh, lack of money definitely can make you mad. Right. Um, right? But in reality, when money only gets you so far, money only gets you so far. A lot of times people lose sight. We all do. We lose sight of why we started something. And I'll give you a great example. So I had a client come to me. They were doing about 50 flips a year. They were generating roughly about $40,000, 50000 per flip on average. And at the end of the year, they made a good chunk of money in revenue. And they came to me. They brought me on and they said, hey, Mike, yeah, we're just ready to scale. We want to do twice as much, all this good stuff. And after I dug into their financials and really saw where all the money went and cleaned up their books, I actually showed them that they lost that year. And they were just shocked. They were like, how? How? We made so much money. But they lost track of how to operate a business. They were throwing money at issues. When they didn't have money, they were getting very creative on how to acquire more deals instead of saying, you know what? I'm not in a position to buy. So let me just hold off on this one to the next one. Right? And so a lot of those things are so important, but they're just they're either learned the hard way, right, or they're never discussed because every every coaching program out there is telling you how to make more sales, how to get more deals, how to double, you know what I mean? And, and it's not about, oh, hey, pause. How do we operate more efficiently as a company?
1: Yeah. Well, and in the, in the, in the companies that are selling these programs, they want you to do more because then you justify the cost of the program. Um, exactly. Exactly. And so they're selling money at a discount. The problem is that not everybody makes money on a discount, right? Sometimes it takes ten thousand dollars or twelve thousand dollars to make the ten thousand dollars in revenue that they're that they're chasing. so as far as like frequency, like what is the optimal frequency in your mind uh, of somebody to be in their financials? Is it daily, weekly monthly
0: at, at a bare minimum monthly at a bare minimum monthly um Depending on your on your specific business structure, your business model, I mean, you could be cranking out several deals a week. And if that's the case, you may want to look weekly because at the end of the month, it may be a little bit harder to kind of dive into the details. If you're doing five or 10 deals for the month, it's a lot easier to go month to month and kind of look into it. But at a bare minimum, you want to look monthly. You want to, you want to track how well did I perform month over month and, and kind of keep that on record, right? And there's so many metrics we can track, but nonetheless... Keep track of it because what it'll show you is, hey, if you went over, was it something that was just spur of the moment, something I couldn't necessarily control? Or is it seasonal? Which a lot of business owners can't tell their, their seasonality, right? And so if you go and ask them, hey, what seasons are, you know, you're hot and when you're cold? How much more profitable are you when you're hot? How much do you lose in your cold? They can't answer those questions. But if you just track it month to month, it, it'll do that for you, right? And then you can kind of collect that data. So at a bare
1: minimum, month to month. So let's say someone gets the financials after a month. Like, what are the series of questions that they should ask themselves to understand and make sure they're making the right decisions based on the data?
0: Can you just repeat the question at the beginning? Yeah. The talk, yeah.
1: Maybe? So, so you got the monthly financials in front of you, right? And let's say you've even got them yep. in, in the in the dummy format, right? Money coming to me, money going out, right? Which yeah, the, yeah. a lot of us really do need. By the way, um, <laughs> the how do what questions should they be asking of that financial statement? So. to to better their position. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Three major questions. How much money did you make? That's going to be your gross income. How much money did you spend? How much money came out? And then arguably the most important, how much money did you keep? All right. If you can ask yourself those three questions, it's a very simple process, but don't overlook it. Because again, if you made $100,000, you spend $90,000, That should be a red flag to you, right? It should be a red flag immediately. It's just like keeping a personal budget, which surprisingly enough, a lot of small business owners don't even keep a personal budget. and That's fine. But if you don't keep a personal budget, it's gonna be hard for you to kind of get into the habit of keep a company budget. But it's the same process, right? And as simple as it can be, how much do you make? How much do you spend? How much do you keep? There are a lot more complexities to that. We can absolutely show some some formulas there of numbers you wanna look at. But at a bare bones level, those are the three questions you need to be asking yourself. If you find, here's another general rule, if you find that you're spending 70%, I apologize, we're going to go to net profit margin. If you find that you're spending 90% or more of what you make, potentially there's a lo- there's room for improvement.
1: Yeah. So when people are looking at the financial statements and let's say they're profitable and and when, when is good enough, good enough? You know, like, cause I mean, obviously you can trim expenses to help the bottom line, right. but then you end up cutting off a branch and losing the fruit. Right. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. You only, you only cut, you can only cut so much. And a lot of times, you know, people think that I'm going to come in and I'm just going to take that off. You don't need that. You don't need it. It's not about that. Right. It's about making sure that every dollar is efficient. Right. So if you're spending 10,000 or $50,000 on marketing, and it's giving you a 5x return, let's keep it up. Let's yeah. go. Maybe we can add more, right? But if you're spending money on something that is just not being used, that those are the things that we kind of can cut, right? But we can only cut so much. After we really get a good understanding of our expenses and we've locked in our fixed expenses, right? And what I mean by fixed is basically we're saying, hey, every month we know this is going to cost us $5,000 a month, these, these couple of items. We got our variable expenses, things that change depending on, you know, what we're selling, the price we're selling at. This could be commissions. This could be uh, repairs, things of that nature, depending on your investment strategy. Once we have a good ballpark saying, hey, look, our burial expenses are 5 to 10% of our revenue. Something like that, great. Now we focus on revenue. Now we focus on how do we bring in more income, right? And we do that again through efficiency of marketing, our sales team, right? We work on our sales team a little bit, uh, or maybe we find another vertical integration. Maybe we're so good at this, that we could just, this one thing that we're already doing, maybe we can monetize
1: it. Yeah. So when you, like MREA, you might be familiar with it, right? The Millionaire Real Estate yep. Agent. And so as an agent and an investor, that was kind of the book. I mean, when I got in, I started reading that oh, book. Yeah. I was devouring it like, okay, 10% of this goes to this. How accurate would you say the MREA model is to your thought process on what spends should go to what parts of the business?
0: Yeah, so the MREA is a great starting point. It's a great starting point, especially for real estate agents. Um, to be clear, a lot of real estate agents come in and they don't really treat it like a business. This is a, a, you know, and the MREA does a great job of outlining it as a business who you should hire first, your level one through your level seven, how you develop. That's all great. But when you take a step back and you start to realize that you're growing and you're scaling it, maybe you have a couple of different branches of income or different branches of services or products. Well, now we need to treat it more like an enterprise, right? More like a, a larger company. And so the model's going to change a little bit. One of the methods that I recommend people look into is the profit first method. Because it's yeah. a very simple concept, right? Still for small business owners. Um, and it's highly adaptable. It's highly adaptable. We can move these things. And if you wanted to combine multiple different types of money management, you can too. But whatever works for you right? Whatever works for you, whatever's simple enough for you to follow and for you to maintain is what's really important.
1: Absolutely. Where do you see yourself and your business going in the next 12 to 18 months? We'll see. Um, right now I'm bringing in bookkeeping
0: into the company, um, which is going to be another vertical integration, but it, all of my clients need it. Um, so hopefully that'll scale as well. Um, honestly, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying the ride right now. Um, I'm very selective with my clients. I'm having a great time. I'm really seeing some big profits. So in 12 to 18 months, I'm hoping to have, uh, you know, helped a lot of my clients see see more profitability and just kind of see where the next
1: opportunity takes me. Well, and your model, right? Especially without bookkeeping is a consulting model. And as a consulting yes. model, like 95% profit, right? Like, I mean, right. Right. I mean, you're living your best life. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a high profit to your point, high profit margins. You know, we've done the agency thing. We built out the agency team, lower profit margins for sure. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's a great life. I'm, I'm finally in a place where I'm, I've kind of settled I found that peace of mind that I was chasing yeah. with those hundred plus doors that didn't give yeah. it to me. Right. right? And yeah. now I'm help, I'm genuinely helping others, um, kind of take that same journey. Right. And hopefully I can help accelerate it a little bit so they can have that peace of mind a lot sooner.
1: That's amazing. What do you do with your freedom?
0: Oh man. I spend time with my family. I try to golf. I'm not good with it. Um, and I take, I take advantage of a lot more opportunities. So now I'm actually able to teach, uh, for the CCIM, which is certified commercial investment member Institute, uh, teaching commercial investment, uh, to real estate brokers and things of that nature, which is a great opportunity. Um, I travel, I speak sometimes, uh, depending on the events and the conferences. Um, yeah, I just, I just give back as much as I can, you know, uh, and try to enjoy the things that I really enjoy, which is, Meeting people, which is you know getting out there, so that's pretty much what I do in my free time. A little boring, awesome. but <laughs> it
1: works. No, it doesn't sound it doesn't sound boring to me, man. Speaking and being on stages and helping people, none of that sounds boring. Michael, man, thanks so much for sharing about your business and your life and finances. I mean, you opened up about you know 134 doors and having to shave, and and I, I really appreciate that because I think we're coming into a time where a lot of investors. Have done a lot of creative financing in these deals and they bought, and I don't know that all of them are gonna be producing real profit. And so I think this is a great you know, segue and intro into people like getting to look at the financials, understanding if they're profitable, making good decisions so they don't, they don't get themselves into trouble. So, guys, if you're out there listening, write down something you learned, share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable because freedom's acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day, before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode.